classic Zeffirelli film, Jesus of Nazareth, and it really does capture intensely. I mean, it's, it's, it's very old, you know. Um, it's not, it certainly doesn't have the kind of intensity and the blood that the Passion of Christ has, but it just captures something of that moment. I mean, particularly that shot where just everything is brought to a kind of a silent moment when they quadrant Jesus off and the shot that comes up, and he's just sort of there hanging in space. The ultimate mediator. Uh, you know, people have been for generations interpreting this moment. Film, so much art has been written to capture the passion of Christ, the suffering of Christ. But we know 
um, that when he was hung there, the Bible gives us actually a couple of things, a couple of different details. The Gospels are pretty uh, similar, but there are certain nuances where they give us different details. And so what I want to do in the time that we have here, I just want to quickly, briefly, as we open up here, look at Matthew's account of what happens after Jesus was hung on the cross, and then also how Luke describes it as well. So in your handout, you can follow with me or in, your, in the scripture, Matthew 27, verse 35, it says, after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And then they sat down around and they kept guard as he hung there. And a sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. And it read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. It was designed as an insult. And the revolutionaries, as it's called in the, in, in the NLT and Matthew's translation, it's criminals or thieves. These are the, the two infamous thieves. Were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then if you are the son of God, save yourself. Come down from the cross. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed. He can't save himself. So he is, he is the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. He trusted God. So let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And even the criminals those who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. Now look at Matthew's account. I mean, I contrasted to Luke's, Luke 22. Because you know what Luke does? Luke describes it in a very similar way, but he adds one detail. Um, he throws in what is the first. He includes the first of the seven recorded sayings of Jesus on the cross. It says this, the two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, that's Golgotha, outside the city gates of Jerusalem, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified. One was on his right and one was on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice right below him. And then the crowd watched. Look at this. And the, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really... If he, is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. And then the soldiers join in. They mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. You want to have something to cover your pain? They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then there was a sign that was fastened above with the words, this is the king of the Jews, again, to mock him. And one of the criminals hanging even joins in. The criminals on the side, they join in, and they scoff. So, you're the Messiah, are you? Why don't you prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it? That's the picture we're given. Both accounts, he just, I mean, you look at in Luke's account, look at the, the leaders are scoffing, the people are taunting, the soldiers are mocking, they put a sign up there, and then even the, even the criminals are joining, and every, I mean, he's already suffering, everybody's on him. I hope you can see the contrast, the contrast between everybody going at him. I mean, they're just pelting him with verbal abuse, and, and, and he's just getting immersed in it, and all of a sudden, you know, you contrast that with what Jesus does. In fact, initially, he doesn't seem to say anything. Just the moans, the struggle to breathe. I mean, I think we understand that it was a trade-off, you know. 
to speak. Because every, when, you were, one of the, when you were crucified, one of the challenges was that when you, every time you breathe, it cost you something in pain. Because, so you had, you had to lift yourself up. But every time you did that, it shot pain through you. So you had a trade-off. To, but breathing is so essential to life. It was kind of a, an insidious thing about it because everything in you is, wants to live. But every time you breathe, you suffer. And I want to suggest that every word that Jesus spoke cost him something. Look, his lips are moving. What's he saying? Is he begging for pity? Have pity? No, no. What is he? Is he, is he? is he pronouncing judgment on his enemies? Yeah. Is that what he's doing? Is he saying, you will pay. Your judgment is coming. Is he heaping curse on them? Raining it down like they deserve? He would be totally justified in doing it. It has always astonished me, and I mean really, that the first thing Jesus did on the cross was pray, not for himself, not even for the world in general, but for his enemies, for his murderers. If those men who plotted and had murdered him could be prayed for, is there anyone beyond hope? If, if, if those who mocked him, ridiculed him, spit on him, reviled him, if, 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 the, if he could pray for them, is there anybody beyond hope? If, if the Roman soldiers who had violently and brutally tore him to shreds and showed him not one ounce of mercy at all after hammering him up on the tree like he was a piece of meat, then having no feeling whatsoever, gambling for his robe right as he's uh, on top of them, as he's dying, thinking nothing of it. If they could be prayed for, is there anybody beyond hope? I mean, that's the thing. Father, Father, forgive them. That's what it would have been. Cost them something. For they know not what they do. They, they are blinded in ignorance and filled with hate. But forgive them. You know, I'm just being honest here. I have a hard enough time forgiving people I like sometimes. <laughs> people I love. I have a hard time sometimes just getting concerned about, you know, just, just praying for people, period, just to, for whom I'm indifferent. But Jesus, he showed the highest path way up here, way up here. Um, you know, I was thinking about it, the example of Jesus, how he forgave his murderers, how, how, how what he did was consistent with a couple of things. Number one, it was consistent. Just kind of, we can note this if we want. It was consistent with the, with the purpose for which he had come, right? I mean, he, he had come. You know, he, we remember this. It's, here's the thing. It's important to link the cross and Easter with Christmas because he was born to be our savior. At the very beginning, when the angel announced his coming, it was, you will call his name Jesus, Yeshua, which means God is salvation. 
God saves. From the very beginning, it, he, he, he came into this world to be our Savior, born to give his life away for us so that we might live, to pay a price for us that we cannot pay for ourselves. He who knew no sin becomes sin, that we might be made righteous in the eyes of God, that, that he becomes the fulfillment of all those sacrifices of the Old Testament that pointed to something, that it pointed to the ultimate giving of God. Someone would pay a price to set us free, but who would be that nice? Is God does it himself. He gives his only begotten son, I was reminded of the Apostle Paul's, you know, kind of like soaring declaration in, in Ephesians 1.7. I said, can you guys, I asked them if they could just put this up. And, it, and it, look, look at what it says. It says, he, God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. I mean, think about it. Purchased our freedom. Purchased our freedom. He gave everything. You know, when John the Baptist, when he, when he was talking about Jesus, he, he, he says, think about it, when the initiation of Jesus' ministry, he doesn't say, there he is, there he is, the promised one of all of Israel, the king, the king of glory, the very son of God. He doesn't say that. You know what he starts out by saying? The very first description of Jesus, behold, look, the lamb of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why he came, to do for us what we could never do, we couldn't get to God. We're never going to be good enough for God. But God comes to us. The cross is God coming to us and paying a price for us to give us life. It's a totally different thing. You know, I was, I was thinking about this. Not only was it consistent with why he came, because he comes to forgive us, right? He comes, he, his purpose is forgiveness. And so when he goes on the cross, he's forgiving. In a way, he's just doing what he had come to do. I mean, it's an expression that reminds us of why he came in the first place, to forgive us of our sins. But then, look at the second thing here. It was also consistent with what he taught. This is so, I mean, didn't he tell us to love our enemies? Yeah, he did. But it's one thing to say it, and then it's another thing to go out and do it. And he did it. And he did it in his humanity. People say, well, wasn't he the son of God? Yeah, he was in his humanity. Everything he did, the suffering, the forget, it was, it was in his humanity. And he, you know, he, he told us there should be no limit to forgiveness. You know, there was that one time where Peter was pressing him for a number. You know, the rabbis at that time taught, the teachers taught that one was operating at a high level if they were willing to forgive someone of an offense three times. But after the third time, you were no longer obligated. And all manner of justification and retaliation was legitimate. So Peter comes to Jesus and he says, what do you say about that, Lord? How many times should we forgive? And then Peter decides he's going to offer a number that he thinks is a pretty good number that's going to get Jesus to say, that's really good, Peter. He says, how many times, should, what do you say, Lord, how many times should we forgive? Seven? I'll double it and add one, right? <laughs> and he's thinking, yeah, you know, seven times. I mean, that's really stretching it out. Jesus says, no, not seven. Peter's thinking, maybe I overshot, right? <laughs> not seven. I tell you all, seven times 70 Unlimited, a number, blow the number away. There's no numbering this. 
This is about a, a life of, of forgiveness. It's about living the forgiving life. It's totally different. Don't, don't put a number on it. It's about forgiving and forgiving again. And you know, there are some things in life when God's calling us to forgive, it comes back. We got to forgive again. Someone said, how do you do that? Say, I just say, you know, you forgive and then it comes back sometimes around. You just forgive again. Ask the Lord to help us forgive again. Just keep, I keep forgiving again. 70 times seven. Jesus taught us that and then he went out and did it. He did it. He let it be his way. You know, they were watching him one time. They were watching Jesus pray. And Jesus was a praying man. And one time they were so impressed with his prayer, the disciples come up and they said, Lord, um, we've been watching you and the way you pray. And we were wondering, could you, could you teach us how to, well, how should we pray? And then Jesus said, and then he gives them what we now call the Lord's Prayer, which was really for the disciples. You could more accurately call it the disciples' prayer that was given by the Lord. He says, listen, when you pray, use this as kind of a model. You say, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed is your name, set apart, unique, none like it. Your kingdom come, your loving realm be established in this world, even as it's established in heaven, and establish it in me. Give me this day my daily bread. Feed me at the inward place in a daily way. Nourish me at a soul level. Give me this day my daily bread. And then he said what? And forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Think about it. When he prayed that, he, 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 what was he doing? Because he was almost saying, look, if you, he weds. What does he do? He weds. He puts together the idea of the forgiveness of God and being a forgiving person. He says basically, and later on he says explicitly, he'll say, look, if you want, to, if you want the forgiveness of God, then you are not going to be able to justify walking around holding things against people all the time. You can't do that. If we want the mercy of God, then we must be merciful. If we need the forgiveness of God, and we all do every day, not only once and for all, but every day I need his forgiveness. I do. Not just things done, things undone, things I should have done, words said, words not said. I mean, if God were marking me, I'll never, you know, somebody, that's a great misnomer. Someone says, oh, well, you know, I, how am I gonna, I'm going to be okay with God because I'm a good person. And I say, okay, well, mark it up. So what, at what point are we, do we qualify? What's the good, how many marks do we get to get, to get good enough for God? You know what Jesus says? None of us will ever. It's not about being good enough. That's a very, he says, look, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast and say, I qualified. But forgiveness, and think about forgiveness, right? He, Jesus, think about the prayer. When you say, now think about the, for a moment, just kind of think about it. Pray like, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, Jesus never trespassed. It was not, he didn't need any forgiveness. Him prayer was for us, reminding us, do we have times when we need God to be merciful to us and forgive us? Yes, we do. Then that takes away every excuse we have. But what I love about it is that he is there modeling it. He does it, the first thing out of his mouth. Forgiveness. Lastly, around that, 
it was also consistent with how he lived and who he was. What I'm saying is he didn't change with the circumstances. He wasn't the reed blowing with the wind or the kite in the wind floating whichever way it was prevailing. What I love about Christ so much is that when the heat was on, he did what he, he always did. He did what we so often fail to do, so often struggle to do. Instead of running away from his commitment, he leaned into his commitment. And that is a huge thing for us. He did it. He put himself in. He showed up more marvelously than ever when he was most abandoned. I love him for that. He followed through. He finished strong. He set the pace. He's the example. He's the one that we are to follow. I was thinking about the cross. You know, the cross is a violent thing. You know, I heard someone say recently that uh, the degree of violence in a culture often represents its pain. It reflects its pain. And then that phrase, many of you have heard it. Hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. You know, Jesus said he was the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. He implied that apart from him, there was only really finally darkness. And was that darkness ever more evident than when Jew and Gentile alike cruelly and, and just absolutely callously put to death the most beautiful man that ever walked on the face of the earth. And I get it, I know. Well, wasn't that part of God's plan? Didn't it have to be? Yes, it did. But it doesn't take away the, the, the way that he was treated by people and the choices that were made. And it really does indict all of us. It, it really is a reflection of the human experience. On the one hand, we reflect things like the image of God. There's a part of us that loves and creates and, and there's beauty in us. But there's all other things in us that when the right buttons are pushed, stuff comes out. And there's so much violence and the inhumanity of human beings to one another. You, you and I, we do not see it. But God sees it all. Every corner of darkness, you see nothing missed. The cross was a horrible, violent thing. It cost God everything, his own son. But in reality, he is entering into the ugliest aspect of what the human experience is, and he's redeeming it. It's, it's amazing. It's all about grace. Because even in the end, amidst the slurs, the denunciations, the taunts, his mouth is full of grace. And, I, and I, I'll close with this passage, and it's in John 1. I put it in there. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And John, he bore witness of him, Jesus, and he cried out, saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And then the, and look at that 16th verse, you guys. <laughs> and of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, grace upon grace, waves of grace. What is grace? God's favor, God's undeserved kindness, God's mercy, God's strength, his relentless love, it shows up most beautifully and radically in Jesus Christ who gives himself away. We talk about the grace of God. You know, in, I, in the more modern translation of the NLT, and we'll just scroll this through, it, it rendered it this way. It said, look at this. So the word became human and made his home among us, and he was full of 
unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. It's the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John, the baptizer, testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one who I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance... We have received one gracious blessing after another. This is the goodness of God. Can't be bought, can't buy a gift, can only receive it. What is grace? Great, it's an amazing gift to us. You know what? It, I'll tell you, when we really think about what Jesus did for us, it should make us more gracious and more grateful. That's what I'm advocating for in my life too, this week. Lord, you were the one who spoke gracious words. Fill me with words of healing, not words of death, Lord. Don't let me be reactive. If someone hurts me, boom, I hurt you back. You curse, but curse you back. That's how escalation occurs. Some of us, we don't speak out. Some of us, we're very verbal. We get mad. Sometimes it's amazing. What is it about a human being? We can feel diminished by something and threatened by something. Someone says something casually and we take it personally. We say, well, they meant it personally. Maybe. I think they meant that too. What does the Lord want us to, to learn? Partly with his help for sure. Is how to be a people who are not retaliatory. Sometimes some of us, we don't retaliate. You know what we do? We store it in here, deep in. We become passively aggressive and we are angry. And if that anger goes unaddressed long enough, it can turn into a deep, deep level of resentment. And I've seen that deep resentment even turn into bitterness to God, by which the Bible says many are defiled. People are affected by that. God wants to teach us the example of Christ to be less resentful, to be less offended. Jesus said, are you offended by what I said? Do these words offend you? Blessed are the unoffended. Grace, I think of provision. When I think of grace, the grace of Christ, I think he died for me. This, this Friday, this week, remember, he didn't just die for the world, he died for you, he died for me, he died for us. I like to put my name in there. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The saved a wretch, a lost one like me. He loves us. He gives us a provision that we can never, we can never buy it. We can only receive it, embrace it, own it in our heart. But then he also gives us a promise of his power, of his grace to strength, to strength to run the race, strength to grow, strength to change, strength to break out of stuff that's been passed down to us generationally sometimes, strength to break out into new territory with God, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. And lastly, grace reminds us of a promise that there's more to this than just this life. This is but a prelude because the cross is not the end, the empty tomb is. Because he lives, you and I have a promise that goes beyond one day, this body cannot contain me. It's going down. I don't know when, but I have a promise in him of a life yet to be because he gave his life for it. How can I pay you back, Lord? I give you myself, all of my flaws, if you'll have me. 
I will be your son. I'll be, I'll be your daughter. I'll follow you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We need you more than the air we breathe. You who gave your last breath for us, you invite us to breathe in the breath of grace. So I just pray that as we move into this week, that we would not just run into it doing our things, but we would remember you, especially as we approach the weekend and with so many people turning their hearts, as it were, to Jerusalem and to you, to the cross and to the empty tomb and all that it means. May our hearts be open to you in fresh ways. May, they, may it break for you in new ways, even as the bread that was broken and the blood that was shed. So as we close this time, making room for the king, we pray you bless us as a community. Bless our time of giving. Bless the faithful giving. Bless the closing song, Lord, as we honor you in our benediction. We sing an ode to the grace of God. Ask for your blessing in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.